0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the B-Shape Daily Podcast. We're rolling out another episode here on a Monday. It's Monday, February 8th, day following the Super Bowl. And boy, was that a dud of a game. Kind of disappointing. I, You know, when the Cardinals were making all those moves about a week ago, I guess it was, you know, last late last week, they announced the Adam Wainwright signing. That was cool. Adam Wainwright has his... Zoom press conference, all right, cool, newsworthy. And then during the press conference, Wainwright kind of hints that the Cardinals might be up to something big. And the Nolan Arenado rumors were already floating around, and so from that moment it was like, okay, this thing might be happening. And then, of course, it did happen. took several days to develop and then reach its conclusion with the Cardinals finalizing that deal a week ago. I believe that happened on Monday, or it might have been Sunday night. At any rate, about a week ago. And then we had the Nolan Arenado Presser. We had Colton Wong signing with the Brewers. And then you had Dexter Fowler before the weekend being traded to Los Angeles. So for Cardinals news, it's been a pretty full week. And we were able to do several podcasts here at B-Shape Daily, which you can find in a variety of places. You can check B-Shape Daily out on Apple Podcasts, that seems to be the most popular because I know a lot of folks have iPhones. I still have not caved and gotten one yet. Maybe eventually. But you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify or two other popular places to check out b Shave Daily. So we've had a lot of Cardinals episodes over the past week. But I was hoping maybe because there hasn't been a whole lot going on in the last couple of days with regard to the St. Louis Cardinals that maybe there'd be some stuff to talk about from the Super Bowl from Sunday, but really that that game was not, not a whole lot to write home about. I'm not a Tom Brady fan because, you know, he beat the Rams all those years ago, and though I'm not a Rams fan anymore, as I've talked about on the podcast before, I wanted to stay a Rams fan. I would have done it. It wouldn't have bothered me that much. I was open to the idea, but once they played their first game as the Los Angeles Rams, I had no emotional connection. I watched the game. I I didn't hate-watch it. Planning, I believe they played the 49ers on like a Monday night or a Thursday night. I know it was a primetime game, that first game when they were in L.A. And I watched the game not planning to hate-watch it. I thought, let's watch the Rams like we always do. And then suddenly I didn't care. I was like, I don't care what happens to you. Individual players, I hope they do well. Guys that were from St. Louis. Guys still with the team like Aaron Donald, Johnny Hecker, Michael Brockers. But otherwise, I just couldn't bring myself... To care about the Rams anymore at that point. But that didn't take the sting out of Tom Brady beating the Rams when I was a kid in whichever Super Bowl that was, like 36 or 7 or so. The Rams in St. Louis won 34. And then it seemed like a couple few years later, two or three years, they lose to the Patriots and Adam Vinatieri. And from there, Tom Brady, I've just, I disliked him in the Patriots my whole adolescence and, and now adult life just because that's what you do if you're a you know former St. Louis Rams fan. And that doesn't seem too uncommon. It seems like you either love Tom Brady or you hate him. And I, you know, personally, I don't hate the guy, but I don't root for him, certainly. And while I wouldn't consider myself a Chiefs fan, I know that's a popular topic of conversation and debate for people in St. Louis. Did you up and join the bandwagon, you know, in Kansas City, because that's the team that remains in Missouri, one of the closer geographic teams to St. Louis at this point. But of course, in the past, Kansas City and St. Louis have had their own rivalries in sports, particularly baseball. And then the cities themselves just kind of seem to argue about other things like barbecue and which city's more fun, whatever, stuff like that. So I know a lot of people that have joined up and become Chiefs fans following the Rams departure from St. Louis. I'm not a diehard Chiefs fan by any stretch of the imagination. I have a Patrick Mahomes t-shirt my sister got for me. For Christmas, I had it on yesterday. I had a futures bet on the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl that I had way, from way back in October, I think it was. So I, I would have preferred the Chiefs to have won, especially when you factor in the, the Brady factor. But, you know, I it's not going to ruin my day, even when you have money on it. That's the only thing I really would care about. But from a fandom perspective, I, I'm fantasy football, and everything else is always secondary. Betting and fantasy football, that's really all I care about with regard to to football. But I like the Chiefs. Would have preferred them to win. Would have preferred Mahomes to beat Brady because he's such a likable player, Patrick Mahomes. Some of the throws he made in that game yesterday that were dropped by his receiving core, that was frustrating to watch because overall in the game, the Chiefs did not get a lot of traction offensively. It was it was a difficult game to watch from that perspective because they weren't moving the ball very consistently in Tampa Bay they moved the ball and they scored their touchdowns, but it was just so darn boring. Like, you know, Tom Brady, I get it. He's great. I respect his game, whatever. To be able to look how he looks and do what he does at age 43 is impressive. But it was not fun to watch. They ran the ball for four and five-yard chunks a ton. It just kind of allowed the game to bleed out as it went along. Made some plays as they got closer to the goal line, but... That's not as fun as kind of airing out downfield. And it seemed like every time either team really aired the ball out, it just it didn't connect. And so that kind of made it less of a fun game. There are really only two players, though, for the Chiefs that did their job. I mentioned the drop passes. I'm going to get into that a little bit more. Like I said, I wanted to talk about the Super Bowl, so I'm going to have to talk about it a little bit. We can get into some Cardinal stuff, maybe some Mizzou stuff later in the the podcast. So I wanted to make sure to podcast every day. And, you know, sometimes there's not going to be major baseball news to talk about and so kind of do a little bit of a hodgepodge today but back to the point with the Chiefs Mahomes played okay I would argue pretty good you know I he had some some faults in that game and some difficult plays that you would have liked to see him make but a lot of the plays that weren't made weren't really on him for one they didn't protect him all game long you lose Eric Fisher to the injury the left tackle that kind of threw everything out of whack On the offensive line, they just did not perform, and they didn't protect him. And so Mahomes was running for his life the entire game. But even as he was doing that, he made a couple of throws that would have been touchdowns. One of them was dropped by Tyreek Hill, and I don't even know if drop is the the proper terminology because it hit him right in the face. And then it happened again. I believe it was Clyde Edwards-Alaire, one of the running backs. I, I think it was Clyde. In one of those, on a on a play where, and I, I tweeted it out, the last thing I did before I went to bed last night, just looking at a picture, a screen cap of Mahomes basically in matrix mode, horizontal practically, as he's in the air trying to get off a pass from 35 yards away that he just puts on a line to the end zone, and it hits the receiver in the face. At that point, if I'm Patrick Mahomes, I'm thinking, what else could I do? I mean, when you when you make two plays like he did, and again, there were some plays where he tried to extend the play a little longer than he should have and should have thrown it away, took a couple of sacks, or risked his health where he didn't necessarily need to. But at the same time, the the Buccaneers had such a good game plan, he had to try to do something. His teammates were simply just not helping him out. I mentioned two players for the Chiefs did their job. It was Mahomes and it was Harrison Butker who kicked three field goals. I don't believe he missed one. Had a couple of them that were longer and, and nailed them all right through the upright. So when your quarterback and your kicker are the only ones really trying to put the team on their back, it's not really a recipe for victory against Tom Brady. And I have to be, you know, mea culpa, I was wrong about the Buccaneers. I You can go back and find Twitter Twitter tweets from me if you really wanted to tag the old takes, expose the, the freezing cold takes because I had – several tweets throughout the NFL season where I referenced how mediocre I thought the Buccaneers were because I just didn't understand like with, with Brady at the end with the Patriots, there was some dysfunction there and, and they needed to sever ties him and Bill Belichick. And so they went their separate ways. Brady goes to Tampa Bay, but I I thought, why are we all, you know, in the preseason, it seemed like they were getting a lot of hype just because of Tom Brady. I'm like, I don't even know if Brady, you know, is he throwing the deep ball well anymore? Not really, not as much Is he, Is he? Is he you know, and I would make jokes, Brady's a system quarterback. He's not going to be able to thrive somewhere else. And that was all kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I did think there was some element to, eventually the guy's got to slow down, right? Eventually he's going to hit that wall where he could be serviceable, but it doesn't mean he's Tom Brady of old, and, and that's kind of where I figured he was at. But you know what? He goes to Tampa Bay. They bring in a lot of different players because of the fact that Brady was there. That strengthened them a lot, too. But, like, their defense was not good last year, Buccaneers, before they had Tom Brady. And so I'm like, look, you can bring in whomever you want to play quarterback. Bring in Patrick Mahomes. Like, bring in somebody who's at the top of their game, a younger player. I still don't know that that's going to work if you don't fix the defense. But what Tampa Bay was able to do, they brought in Brady, who I was not sold that he was going to be the same guy. But they brought in Rob Gronkowski, they brought in Antonio Brown, Leonard Fournette, I don't think super highly of his game, but he's definitely a serviceable running back, and to have multiple running backs that can that can get the job done is is definitely a bonus. Added on defense, got healthy on defense, and they were able to kind of run the table following that loss to the Chiefs in Week 12. But I just didn't think their defense was going to be that good, I just didn't understand, and I was totally wrong, obviously because they were able to figure things out but throughout the early portion of the season I think they might have even lost to the Bears or something like they lost to some teams that just wasn't that impressive the way they performed or they they came into a big game like the one against the Saints and you thought this is going to be a marquee matchup and it just was a dud because they got blown out so there were some games like that where that kind of reinforced my the thinking I had coming into the season where I was like look this these guys aren't that good Tom Brady whatever they're gonna be mediocre they're mediocre. And so when they were like 5 and 5 or whatever, 6 and 5, I was like, "Yep. This is exactly right." And then they didn't lose again. I think they were 7 and 5 when they lost to the Chiefs and then they didn't lose again the rest of the way. So, congratulations to Tampa Bay. I do have a Tampa Bay Buccaneers hat. I didn't put it on last night because it would have been kind of conflicting with my my Chiefs t-shirt that I was wearing and conflicting with the the futures bet that I had. But anyway, that was the Super Bowl. Ate some good food. My wife made chocolate chip cookies. That's always good. She makes good chocolate chip cookies. But I had a good time. Didn't really do anything though. Just stayed at home. You know, normally I'd like to be involved in a Super Bowl party and in the whole deal, and it wasn't even necessarily COVID related that we didn't try to go join up and do something. We just wanted to be home. Because we have we've have had a crazy last week to 10 days. And so by the by the time the weekend rolled around, we were ready to just try to not do very much. And so made some food, stayed at home, had a couple of good pictures I had put on, uh, put there on Twitter. You can follow me at for 12 I've got my two-year-old nephew and his mom, my sister, they live with us, and he was enjoying the football game last night, enjoying the halftime show, doing a, a funny dance. So kind of fun to be able to put those memories down and, and have that kind of stuff, but that kind of wraps up my thoughts on the Super Bowl. 31-9, the Chiefs lose. It wasn't that great. I'm hoping for maybe a, a better game next year and hopefully a Super Bowl party. I always say that I the Super Bowl is like the one sporting event that I would not necessarily, like the marquee event that I would not ever need to go to. I don't ever need to be at the Super Bowl. I would rather always be watching it on TV in like a vegetative state where I'm eating and drinking and doing whatever I want just seems like more trouble than it's worth i'd rather go to a super bowl party because that's like the one social event where it ties in sports but really it's it's not really always about the the sports like people who don't like football can enjoy a super bowl party because especially when there's no covid and you don't have to worry about being safe and distancing and wearing masks and stuff like that in those times it's just i i've always really enjoyed the super bowl it's like to me, the 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 big American thing to do behind 4th of July, which is one of my favorite holidays. So, don't need to go to the Super Bowl, but I, would, I, I hope that next year maybe a, a little bit of a more involved, more exciting party that wouldn't be so bad. So, let's shift gears, though. We are going to get into a little bit of baseball talk, I think, before the end. So, if you're not really into Mizzou basketball, you can go ahead and scroll forward in the podcast. But that's something I want to talk about because... Look, when it comes to the Cardinals, I did grow up a Cardinals fan. But right now, you know, the role that I'm in and have been in for the last five years, it has absolutely changed my perspective. And people ask about this sometimes. How did you get into the, you know, covering baseball, writing about baseball? How did that all start out? And, like, the truth is, when I was a kid, yeah, I grew up in the St. Louis area. I was a Cardinals fan. And I, like, die hard for sure, no question about it. And people are like, well, really, is it is it that easy to, to kind of just shift gears and where you don't have that same emotional investment like you did before? And I always tell them the same thing. I didn't think it would be, but I knew I wanted to be, you know, in sports media and, and it's something that interested me. And so I, I started doing it and I went for it and I landed in a position where I could continue to pursue it as I've been doing for the last several years. And I never really got the opportunity to think about it for very long. Like, okay, Cardinals fan. Like, the first day I covered a Cardinals game, I sure, I was a Cardinals fan. I was already working at 590 The Fan, the radio station. So I was in the sports radio side of it, which is a little bit more fast and loose with, you know, the, the, the protocols and the customs with regard to, uh, are people on the radio fans of the team? Are they media covering the team? You know, but once I started going to games... I knew there was etiquette for the press box. I'd covered Blues games for a local radio station in Washington, Missouri. So I had I had written about Blues games and, and knew how to conduct myself and said, okay, you know, how? let's just see what I can do and, and see if I can kind of break into this business. And covering Cardinals games, it just came naturally for me to think, okay, I'm not sitting up here in the press box as a fan. Now I my, my, my role, my job is to write stories about this game, about the team as the season goes along. And so... I just started doing that, and really, it surprised me. I didn't think it would come as easily as it did. So maybe surprising looking back to say, yeah, it wasn't a it wasn't an issue. Going from a fan to now, now it's my role to to cover the team. I I love it. It's actually way better than it ever was before. Because while the emotional high of sports fandom, and in the and we are going to talk about Mizzou basketball. That's kind of why I dive into the Cardinals element of it first because I want to be able to show the contrast of how I experience University of Missouri athletics because when it comes to the Cardinals I don't have that diehard fandom the way that I did before and it's honestly better in regard to that because I have a a meaningful role where it adds value and a purpose to my life and professional endeavors when I'm trying to you know be a baseball writer and so It's so much better. Of course, I would still like to see the Cardinals do well. It's great for business when the Cardinals do well. It's great talking to Cardinals fans on social media and discussing the team. Like, it's more exciting to cover winning teams than losing teams. There's, you know, that much should be obvious. But the difference now when the Cardinals blow a big lead, it doesn't ruin my day the way that it used to. That's what I always say. It used to ruin my day. I'd let it impact my day. And if you're a fan of the Cardinals... I'm not even saying that's wrong. Like listen, I was that guy. Absolutely. For the longest time. But then once I once I changed and I was like, "Oh, now my now my role is to cover the team and look at it from an objective lens, through an objective lens rather." And and so rather than have it ruin my day, I think, "Okay, why did that happen? Should that have happened? Where does there need to be criticism? Where does maybe, you know, there doesn't need to be the level of criticism that you might see" From you know Twitter or the fan base or whatever, where I think actually I don't agree. I think they lost this game, but it was just one of those things, and it can be explained by this. And your role is to analyze at that point, and it's it's to you know try to be a little bit more objective about it. And so I don't know how it happened. It just kind of came to be that I was able to do that and, and channel the energy redirected a little bit, and I love it. I I wouldn't change it for anything. All that being said, because I was a diehard Cardinals fan and I have a different role these days that I love and appreciate grew up as far as hockey. It wasn't as big of a, of a thing in my household. I was the kind of hockey fan that watched playoff games. You know, when the blues would make the playoffs, I would get into it a little bit more Then, but I just, I just did not grow up around the game as much. And so it wasn't something that I, that I really uh, had in my heart the way I did for the Cardinals. Uh, When I started covering the blues, because I did that before I started covering St. Louis Cardinals, when I started covering the Blues, I learned so much more about the game and I was able to, you know, I, when the Blues won the Stanley Cup, like that was really exciting for me, even from a, you know, media perspective to be able to cover some of those Stanley Cup games and be able to to be around that atmosphere. It's, it, you know, that's why we love sports. That for what that meant to St. Louis in June of 2019, that was awesome. That whole postseason run through the Stanley Cup playoffs was fantastic for St. Louis. Awesome to see the Blues do that. But it's a little bit of a different role, so it's not like I have a diehard blues fandom within my heart. And, of course, I already mentioned my relationship with the Rams. I was I, I, really talking about letting it affect your day. Man, the Sundays were hard for a lot of years in the fall because the Rams were that bad. And I always found a way to get suckered into watching them and caring about them and being convinced that they were actually going to turn it around. Now I know better because I know that all that time they were planning to move to Los Angeles so they had to be bad they had to tank brilliant mastermind evil geniuses that moved the rams and got away with it but as a kid and teenager growing up it was really really frustrating every sunday and i totally did i was i would get more upset about rams games than i would the cardinals because there's only 16 of them and so you want to see you just want to be competitive it wasn't i mean for the longest time it was like let's just not be the worst Let's just have a few wins. And so there's some lean years, but lost my fandom. I just don't even have it. So it's not like I can, can fake the emotional. It's all about the emotion for me. I can't fake my way into an NFL fandom. It's going to have to happen organically. And maybe it will if I ever move to a different city or whatever. And I'm not, I'm not an NFL reporter, but I'm, I'm in that city and have a chance to go to games or whatever. Maybe I'll pick up or, or follow a certain player. Like there are teams that I like better than others. But I just don't have a diehard fandom in the NFL anymore. So I don't have it for the Cardinals. Don't really have it for the Blues. Don't have it for the NFL and the Rams after they left. But when it comes to Mizzou, I am unapologetic about the fact that my role is Mizzou fan. If I got a job someday that would change that, maybe it'll it'll happen. And I, I feel like I would be able to adjust just as I have with the Cardinals. But, man, it's nice to have that one fandom right now, and that's what I've got, University of Missouri. So when you see my tweets about Mizzou and you think, man, that doesn't sound too professional, keep in mind that I don't really cover Mizzou. I cover the Cardinals. I'll cover the Blues. And I've gone to, I've gone to a couple of Mizzou events before when they're big events, covering them for KMOV, but it's just not something I do on the regular. And so that's not really my role, and I totally revel in the fact that I get to be a fan of Mizzou. Even though, of course, I pick the most difficult thing to be a diehard fan of because it's a it's a cursed program. It's hard to be a Mizzou fan. We have had our moments. I was I was a student at the University of Missouri when we won the back to back, and see I even say we. That'll slip out sometimes. You won't hear me say we about the Cardinals. It's not it won't ever happen. It's just not it's just not the way I think. And it's not me being fake or putting up a facade. It really just isn't the way I, I think. But you know what when it comes to Mizzou I went to the school I I I feel like I am one within within the program I've got a I've got the columns tattooed on my back for people who have followed me on Twitter for a while you you know that because I tweeted out a picture that's been several years ago So when it comes to the University of Missouri Columbia Missouri very special to me and so when I look at Mizzou sports and tweet about them you'll notice a difference I don't tweet that way about the Cardinals because it's 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 I don't feel it the way I feel it about Mizzou. And so I let myself get a little bit lost in the fandom and celebratory, and maybe one day we'll get a national championship or, or something really exciting to happen again in one of the two sports. But for right now, looking up for football, enjoyed the football season, but basketball, big win against Alabama on Saturday, and it was almost not. I mean, that game, I, very rarely as a Mizzou fan do I allow myself to get into a mindset of, oh, we've got this in the bag. But I kind of was there. I even sent a tweet out to to Michael Gaines, I think had made a comment about you know what they were talking about with Alabama and, and talking about being a one seed and all this stuff. And I was I replied like with some mocking quotations about yeah, once be a one seed. are they gonna win another game the rest of the year? Well, they almost won that game on Saturday and the, the switch basically flipped right after I sent that stupid tweet. Never gonna do any. I, I gotta convince myself to just wait until the game's over. Especially when it comes to Mizzou basketball. Because I just cannot, until the final horn has sounded, don't convince yourself that Mizzou has done anything good. Because they're going to find a way to make it way more interesting than it needs to be. And that's what they did on Saturday. They win the game 68-65. After playing like the most complete 34-35 minutes of basketball that I've seen from them all season long. They absolutely dominated the number 10 ranked team in the country in the Alabama Crimson Tide, a team that had not lost a game in Southeastern Conference play before Mizzou got a hold of them on Saturday. And the fact that Alabama goes on like a 19-2 to run, and it, I, I, I was already tweeting about it. As it was happening, it was like a 12-point game, I think, at the under-4 timeout, 11 or 12, and they, they had somebody going to the free-throw line. I think Mizzou might have even been going to the free-throw line, but I was just like, guys, please do not do the thing that you were thinking about doing. You are clearly thinking about because it was like an 18, 19 point lead. Now it's down to 11 or 12. I'm like, I can already see this coming. I'm not going to look at the gambling odds of, of what it would be if you were to look online and try to bet on it. But I guarantee you right now, Alabama is a huge underdog. And I hate to think that there would be value to put on Alabama right now in this moment at the under four timeout because this game is starting to slowly slip away. And then, boom, right after that, there was nothing slow about it. Mizzou was totally in free fall. And I'm like, they're going to lose this game. And I hate that I feel that way. I feel like I've been conditioned over the years as a Mizzou fan to where it, it's justifiable to feel that way. I want to be a more confident and more uh, you know optimistic fan. But in those moments, I was like, the sky is absolutely falling and they, they can't find a way to stop the bleeding. And it gets all the way to a one-point game. Like, if you're watching this game, if you're a Mizzou fan watching this game, so many players with big performances standing out. Like, Tillman didn't have a massive game like he has, like he did on on Wednesday against Kentucky. I believe he had a big game that day. Tillman didn't have a huge game. But, like, Mitchell Smith was doing his work, getting it done. Kobe Brown was making big plays. Drew Smith was doing his thing. Even Mark Smith, who has struggled offensively some this year, had a few threes that he splashed, had some steals and some big-time defensive plays. Everything was clicking for Missouri until it wasn't, and then you're like, please, can somebody just come out and save the day? One thing that's really frustrating to me as a basketball fan, and you will see me tweet this out, especially if it continues, but if it doesn't, if Missouri turns it around on this front, and I'm talking about free throws, if they turn it around, you'll see me praise their free throw shooting and the fact that they turned it around. Because to me, that is the one thing that I can confidently say. I could walk into a gym completely cold and do better than some of the people that are playing college basketball, and it shouldn't be that way. If you play basketball collegiately at the highest level, and, you know, SEC play, that's one of the better conferences out there, maybe not within Division One, but, like, it's a power conference, and that's the highest division of college basketball. Or professional basketball players, and I get it. that It's harder to do in a game than it is to walk into an empty gym and do it. But I just will never understand how guys who all they do is basketball, they eat it, they breathe it, they sleep it how they, they go out and they shoot 45% from the free throw line during games. And that is just my one, like, obnoxious fan pet peeve that I don't know that I'm ever going to be able to change it. You can tell me all day long and explain it to me how the pressure of the situation, you wouldn't be able to do it. I, I totally understand. But, like, I'm not a basketball player. And in an empty gym, and I've I've had this before, Matt Rocchio used to work with him at 590 The Fan, we had this back and forth on Twitter where I said, it's not that hard. I, I don't play basketball. I You know, as a kid, I did. I didn't play high school basketball. I've always played pickup games and stuff because I enjoy it. I'm five foot 7 I'm not a basketball player. But I could walk into a gym and shoot 65 out of 100 free throws, make 65 out of 100 for sure. I could do it. And Rocchio was like, no, you can't. Whatever. So I did. I took a video. I went up to Progress Park, I think it was, in Wentzville. Took a video, and I made 71 out of 100. Didn't take a warm-up shot. 71 is what I happen to have made that day. My percentage would probably be around 68, 70%, especially if I went and did it more. But that's the thing. These basketball players can do it more. That's all they do. Shoot 500 of them every day, and it will become such muscle memory that there's no way you'll have the level of impact when there are fans in the building, which this season there haven't been that many fans, so that's another matter. But even when you're tired, even when you're, you know, that's the kind of thing you can practice. So that's my one pet peeve to say if they could just shoot better free throws. And down the stretch of that game on Saturday, it was the free throws that I said, this is what's going to kill them. They, they had a guy go 0 for 2, and then they missed the front end of a 1-1. One and one. They they had the game won, and then it was a higher percentage free throw shooter, I think, that missed. It might have been one of the Smiths. I can't remember for sure, but they got they basically, Alabama could have taken the lead. They missed the shot. Mizzou got the ball back, and all they had to do was hit a couple of free throws to at least go up by three, so that way there's no way they could lose in regulation. They give it up because they don't make the front end of the one and one. Alabama gets one more shot at it. Locked down defensively is you got to give credit to Mizzou at the end. Mitchell Smith had like a LeBron James in the NBA Finals type block to help seal that game. It wasn't sealed until Xavier Pinson hit both free throws. Thank God. But once he did that and you were up by three, I was like, okay, they're not going to lose even if. Alabama finds a way to tie this game. The tie, they kind of stopped the bleeding at that point. I felt like Mizzou would have even won that game in overtime, but more good defense. They don't even really get a good shot off. I think it might have been an air ball, front rim, not close. Mizzou able to escape with the win, and now they're ranked number 10 in the country, which is way too high because once you get that high up, you're just asking to be brought back down to earth. They play against Ole Miss on Wednesday. That's on the road. Ole Miss, not a great team, but... Everybody in this league, maybe maybe except for Vanderbilt, I can say that for now because Vanderbilt, I don't know if Mizzou's even going to get to play them because they got postponed because of COVID, and so we'll see if they reschedule that game. I haven't seen anything on it recently, having looked at the schedule. But Vanderbilt might be the only team in the league that I'm like, yeah, I think Mizzou's going to take them no matter where you play that game, no matter when you play that game. But Ole Miss, one of the kind of lower middle of the pack type teams, don't take them for granted, guys. I'm begging you. Just win the games you're supposed to win get into the tournament with a decent seed, not too high. Don't want you to be a 2 seed again. I'd prefer like a 3 seed. That'd be perfect. Because even even you know, path to the sweet 16 I think is possible at that point. You get into the 4-13 matchups and the 5-12 matchups. I don't I don't I don't want any part of that because those are the ones that seem to get upset pretty frequently. A Six seed, that'd be okay. You could lose to an eleven in the first the first round, but I, I'd be okay even if they were as low as a six seed because then it's like okay, a little less a little less pressure on them. You can at least make the Sweet Sixteen potentially. I know you got to play the three seed in the second round, but I think they can. They've proven they can beat those kind of teams if they have their best game. It's going to be a matter of can they shoot and can they avoid the stretches like they had at the end of the Alabama game. But again, Alabama is a team that was being discussed. As a one seed, as a Final Four contender coming into that game on Saturday, undefeated in SEC play. Mizzou beats them. Clearly, they have the talent and the capabilities to do it, but there are some games when they just flat out don't shoot. Probably that'll be what happens in the first round of the NCAA tournament, assuming they get there. They're looking like they're in pretty good position right now to make the tourney. They'll probably have the game where they don't shoot, and I'll be, you know, classic Sad Mizzou fan, but... It's been fun to at least have Mizzou basketball to care about again. It's way better than being apathetic like it was during the some of the Kim, Kim Anderson years where you just couldn't bring yourself to care. So that's been cool. And just wanted to be able to talk about some Mizzou basketball today since not a whole lot of Cardinals stuff going on. We'll get into Yadier Molina stuff as this week goes along, Cardinals fans, because I think he's going to probably sign this week. I saw John Moselak said on KMOX to Tom Ackerman that like you know they're working through those things this week. And they'll probably have an answer by the end of the week is basically what he said. Now that the Caribbean series is over with Yachty having played for Puerto Rico, I think they're going to work hammer out those details and, and be able to get that contract done this week because we just got a couple of weeks till they report for spring training. Really, it's not even that much. It's about a little bit over a week, I think. I don't know the official report date because I don't think I'm going to be going down right away. I hope I do get to go down there, but it's still kind of up in the air based on what kind of access uh, media is going to have and, and, and how it will be limited Because of COVID. So we'll wait and see what what that looks like. But Yadier Molina talk will be coming later in the week. Um, We could probably do some discussion about Trevor Bauer with the Dodgers. I don't really think we've touched on that yet. His whole LeBron James-like decision where he really drug out that process. I think that was Friday of last week. And Twitter was like, okay, on with it already, dude. Make your decision. You're going somewhere. And I, I think his deal... It's like got an opt out after every year, and it's like forty million for the first couple of years or something. So he got the high average annual value that he wanted. He's the kind of guy that wants to bet on himself, and so he's able to have a willingness to take a shorter deal. You know, a lot of these pitchers, especially as a pitcher, I feel like you would want to recognize that you're probably going to have a surgery at some point over the course of, you know, the next five or six years, almost no matter who you are, and you're going to be out for a season. And so maybe you want to get as long of a contract as you can so that the season you're out, you're not waiting to get paid next year. You're just getting paid for that year. And uh, Bauer didn't go that route. I wonder what the best offer he could have gotten would have been at like a six or seven year deal. But like he got $40 million, $40 million, and then I think the last year, the third year is lower. And that's why he's got the opt-out. So if he's still on the trajectory, he's going to be able to opt out of that third year if he wants to. But if you would have given him Thirty million a year for six or seven years. I mean, that's two hundred million dollar payday. I I don't know. Certainly, he's a guy that bets on himself, so I'm I'm sure this is not really out of line with what what he wanted and what he expected to be able to do. I don't think anybody was going to give you forty million as your AAV and and do that over five or six or seven years. So he got the contract he got, but the team that he went to, the Dodgers, are going to be so hard to beat. I don't know if offensively they'll, they'll be quite as good as they were. You know, Justin Turner is not re-signed yet. They might bring him back. You know, it seems like the kind of guy that should just remain a Dodger the rest of his career. So we'll see if that ends up happening. But their pitching staff is absolutely filthy. Like, I really like Dustin May and Tony Gonsolin. I think that's another good pitcher. And those guys, I don't even know if they're both going to have roles in the starting rotation. Julio Urias is another younger pitcher that they've been able to, you know, they've been able to use these guys in some kind of hybrid roles because of the tremendous pitching depth that they have. And now they add Trevor Bauer, who was the best pitcher in the National League last year. We'll see if he can do it over a longer stretch. But to have Bauer, who just won the Cy Young, to have Kershaw, who's won the Cy Young, and to have David Price, probably their number five starter at this point, a former Cy Young winner. And maybe none of those guys are their best pitcher. Like, over the next five years, give me Walker Bueller of the four. Obviously, Price and Kershaw are a little bit older into their career, but the guy I want from that rotation, as of right now anyway, I think I want Walker Bueller. I love his game. And so they've got four absolute studs, and then they've got, you know, some of the other younger names that I mentioned that are going to be fighting for opportunity. And no matter whether they're starting or relieving or, who you know, whatever they do with that spot, They're going to have all these guys in that that bullpen if they're not in the rotation. So just absolutely filthy, the Dodgers. And to have a guy like Bellinger, who's one of the best hitters in the game, had a little bit of a a lesser season last year. But he's, you know, he's a stud, and they've got studs. I mean, Mookie Betts, another – I mean, you've got two, arguably two top ten hitters in the middle of that lineup. Cardinals could have that with their two guys. Now they've got Arenado. We'll see how they perform this year. But uh, especially if Major League Baseball, I'm talking about deadening the baseball, it, it has been the last few years to where, and I'm holding the Major League Baseball ball in my hand right now. I don't know where I picked this one up. I think this might be the one that at Bush Stadium one time during batting practice a couple of years ago, they were they hit a home run, and nobody was in the stadium yet. I was up in the press box, and I was like, you know what, I bet I could go walk and pick up that ball, stretch my legs a little bit. So that's what I did. Then I play with it, but... uh. They're talking about changing the baseball, de-juicing it, if you will, which could impact home runs, could impact offense. To me, that's only making it better to have these stud pitchers because you can really suppress the scoring of your opponents and, and be able to just out-muscle them in that fashion. Dodgers are going to be really tough to beat. They might be the best team in baseball, probably are. They just won the World Series. They're, they're going to be primed to make a run and try to do it again. The second-best team in baseball might be in their very division with what the San Diego Padres have done. They've got, like, seven starting pitchers. I know Mike is not going to be healthy for this season, but even without him, they've got more than five because they just have kept adding guys. And apparently they had some interest in Wainwright at one point in time, too. So, I mean, what they've been able to do by adding all these players from the outside, a lot of talent, that's going to be an awesome divisional battle to watch out in the NL West. Cardinals, though, they've done their part. Hopefully they do a little bit more. I think Jake Rizzi would make a lot of sense. I do think they need another starter after trading Gomber, which, again, nobody's complaining about the Arenado trade. Pretty much considered universally as a heist by most people in the game. But you do give up Gomber. Would have been a, a more than serviceable left-hander to put into that rotation mix. It would have probably been him or Ponce de Leon, I think, as the five-starter, assuming health for everybody, which... As we talk about all the time, it's not an assumption you can really make, but that's, I think, where it might have stood coming into spring training. Now you're looking at, okay, is it going to be Ponce? Are they going to give Hennessy Cabrera a chance to expand on the success that he had last year as a reliever? Maybe they'll move him, stretch him out as a starter where he's been in the minor leagues. Guys like Helsley, I feel like, are going to be geared toward relief. Jordan Hicks will be a reliever when he comes back. Alex Reyes could be kind of a wild card in that situation because he could be a starter But do the Cardinals decide to kind of ease off of him and let him settle into a late-inning relief role because he thrived in it last year? And at this point, you're like, anything you get from Alex Reyes healthy is going to be good enough. So that might be a conversation that we could talk about, pick a day later in this week to really get in-depth for the first time ahead of spring training on the Cardinals' starting rotation as it stands after the Arenado trade. Because I think there are a lot of interesting candidates. And I can tell you who I think, You know, who I'd like to see, who I think the team would like to see, how I think they'll go with these certain roles. And it'll change as we get some more information coming into spring. You know, we'll see as spring develops. That's kind of always a fun thing. Last year, I pinpointed Gomber and Ponce de Leon as two guys that were lighting it up down in Jupiter. And they ended up both contributing in meaningful ways uh, as starters, as relievers, in in Gomber's case, a couple of times during the regular season. So we will be interesting to see which young pitchers try to emerge and kind of take hold of an opportunity that could exist there within the rotation this upcoming season. But otherwise, we'll have some Yachty news, I'm sure. We'll have some things to talk about. But otherwise, this is a great part of the year. If you want to get yourself involved in the podcast, you can totally do so. I'm begging you to do so. It's more fun for me when I've got some interaction. And people say, well, you're going to have some guests on the show? I'm sure I will. Throughout the year, there will be guests. But what's easiest is for me to come home spit takes for 40 minutes and be, you know, be able to put out a podcast. Because if you're one to do it every day, like I am, it's not always going to be easy as the uh, the sole performer and producer of the show to be able to line up all the guests and make things work with people's time schedules. I'm going to try my best to be able to do it to give you a little bit of a different look. But I also want to be unique on this show in the fact that I'm not worried about every day having to have a guest because I feel like with the the analysis and the, you know, Cardinals talk that I want to be able to bring to you throughout the year I'm going to be able to hopefully hold it down and and give you quality content that you appreciate and and want to come back and and listen to day after day because if you do my goal if you do listen to the show especially as we get into the season my goal for you would be that you feel a little bit more informed by taking 30 in, in some cases 40 minutes out of your day whether it's on your commute whatever the case might be listen to the updates I'll bring you on the Cardinals give you some opinion update you on some news be able to do that on a daily basis so that you can feel like, hey, coming into that night's game, I at least know a little bit more uh, than I did before. So that's kind of my goal with the Cardinal stuff. Going to get into it. Again, really hope I can get down to spring training this year. Uh, <laughs> the, with the weather right now, I'd go right now. I'd get in my car and go right now if I knew I was going to be able to to have access because it is, uh, it's brutal. I think I, I saw negative 11 for the low temperature on Saturday. So not great times here in the St. Louis area, but that's okay. We know that spring is around the corner, baseball is going to be in the air, and we're going to love it. But to get involved in the show, what I'd love to have you do, you go to anchor.fm slash 12 just like my Twitter handle, slash message, anchor.fm slash 12 slash message, and you can literally record your voice, you can do it from your phone. You don't even need a fancy microphone, it'll be just like leaving a voicemail. It literally is called voicemail on the Anchor app. And so... All you got to do is hit me up. You can do it on the app. There is an Anchor app. But if you don't have that, you can just go to anchor.fm slash bshafer12 slash message. Hit me up. Leave me a voicemail. I will play your message on the show, and then I'll talk about whatever it is you said you wanted me to talk about in the voicemail. And we can do things that way. I'd love to have a voicemail or two a day to be able to play as the season goes along. And if some days I can't get to one because we've got some pressing news, you can rest assured I'll get to it the next day. Really appreciate it when you guys join in and get involved in the show. It's awesome. Going to wrap things up, though, at this point for today. Appreciate you guys once again for sticking with me through this episode and listening to the podcast. Make sure you subscribe at all the places we discussed earlier, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere you get your audio listening pleasure from. You can get B-Shape Daily in those places. Appreciate you guys. Have a great rest of your day and we will talk to you tomorrow.